0: Thanks for joining us again, and let's get to the service. You are just joining us uh, for the first time today. Welcome. If we've not met before, my name's Josh. I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, also at Sandy Creek and Williamstown Uniting Churches as well. So we are working our way through a series at the moment called Heaven. And heaven is one of those things, there we go, you can hear me a bit better now. Heaven is one of those things that many of us think about from time to time. Few of us know a great deal about, in any case, but all of us, one way or another, are headed the direction of the things of heaven. And someone mentioned to me during the week, they said, Josh, you realize that Sunday morning you know, you start preaching by about half past ten, that's a pretty early time in the day to start telling people they're going to die. And I guess that's kind of true in many ways, but I'm hoping that's not news to you, if I'm honest. I'm hoping that the reality that you and I are going to die at some point in our life is not news to us. And whilst some of us can, we've got a level, number of predictors as to the likelihood of it happening at a certain time, in a certain place, or in a certain way, or sooner rather than later, perhaps for some of us who've seen more summers than others. But the reality is that you and I have no idea about that, do we? Not really. The reality is that I have this moment, and I have all that God has given me this day, but tomorrow is not guaranteed. I like to assume that I will wake up tomorrow, (laughs) and I, I hope so. I hope you do too. But that's not up to us, is it? And so really, the only thing we know for 100% certain is that death catches up with all of us. 100% no exceptions. And with that reality in mind, begs the question, what happens when we die? What happens after our life on this earth comes to an end? And perhaps the even better question is, with that reality in view, how ought we live our life? And that's the question that we have been exploring and are looking at overall in this series on heaven. We're looking at some of the complexities, some of the, of the theology and what Scripture really teaches about heaven, because it's perhaps not what you think it is, certainly not what our culture tells us that it is. So, we're looking at, at that And we're looking at how it is that the understanding of those truths can inform and should inform how we live our life now. And so we've been looking, last week, quite simply, I opened with exploring the basic realities of heaven, and that you and I were created for heaven. But a reality that I explored, before I go into a couple of the the nuances of that, I explored the basic idea that you and I, we live towards what we focus on, what we look forward to, what we set our sights on. It's one of the key principles that you get taught when you learn to drive. Don't look at the tree. Simple. When you're driving, see, believe it or not, this tree right here, is in Adelaide somewhere. What a marvel of modern engineering. There's so many things we could and should prioritise. Apparently, forcing people to drive on the sidewalk to get through is one of the things. But anyway, when we get taught to drive, we get taught that don't focus on the trees. Don't focus on the things that you are trying to avoid because there's something in our subconscious that, inevitably leads us, directs us, subconsciously focuses us on that thing. So, if you want to hit the tree, look at the tree, and you will focus, and you will, your, your life will invariably head towards that. It's also, I'm told, I've never skied through a, a snow-filled forest. Anyone done that in their life? Or mountain biking is the other one. That's probably more likely here in Australia than the other is you can go mountain biking and they whip through the mountain bike paths and I would have killed myself on the second turn, let's be honest, but they do it. But the trick is, the way you weave through the trees is don't look at the trees or you'll find yourself face first into a tree. And all that does is it points to the reality that for you and I, we live towards what we set our sights on. And so we set our sights, we ought to be setting our sights on heaven on what happens to us at the end of our life. And we explored a bunch of fun things about what culture tells us heaven is about. You'd be familiar with the pearly gates and and all of that and and all the things that culture has to say. But when we looked at Scripture and when we looked at what Jesus had to say about the realities of heaven, it seemed to be that there were three perspectives, three concepts, three ideas that all exist simultaneously and that they are that heaven exists now, in another place. Now and in another place. That heaven also exists here, on earth, but in another time. So heaven exists here, but not right this moment. Heaven exists in another time, in another age. And that heaven is also available to us, also accessible to us here and now, but in a completely different way to the way we think it is. So heaven exists in three concepts, all of equal value that we need to understand when we think about the realities of heaven. And the way that the ancient Jewish people thought about passage of time, chronos, as they talked about it, passage of time, is that there were two ages. There was this age, now, this passage of time, and then this, the age to come, an age when God will change the way that the world and the way that heaven and the way everything else is structured. They call that the consummation of all things back to God. And Scripture talks about this age of heaven and earth. And He talks about the age to come where God will come to earth, bring heaven to earth, And in that, there will be a a mysterious but a wonderful reconciliation of all things. So, we'll see a new heaven and a new earth. And that is where heaven exists here, but at another time, in another age. And so, as we continue this idea of exploring the realities of heaven, I wanted to spend the rest of our time today looking at this age, looking at this time, looking at heaven and earth, and all that it means that we can live our life with our eyes set on heaven in terms of this age, but also, and so in that, I want to answer two questions, hopefully with the rest of our time, I'll answer two questions that you have perhaps been wondering when it comes to heaven, what happens when we die? I'm going to do my best to answer that in terms of what Scripture has to say out of Revelation. And then secondly, what will our experience be in heaven? What will we experience there? What's it going to be like? And that's the heaven that exists in this age. So not the one that is to come, but the one when we breathe our last and our soul goes somewhere else, to another place, to heaven in this age. What does Scripture have to say about what that looks like? And so to do that, I want to have a look at two core passages of Scripture. Two core passages of Scripture. The first one uh, is, we find in Revelation chapter chapter 6. Just let me bounce around my notes for a minute, sorry. I've tried to be a little bit more note-heavy with this sermon to try and say exactly what it is that we needed to say. And so, let's head to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And so, when we think about... when, So, to give you some context about this passage, so this Revelation was written by a guy called John, and John was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he writes Revelation near the end of his life, when he's been exiled onto an island called Patmos. And he's thinking about all that has happened in his life, the fact that most of the people that he knew that followed Jesus have now been executed by the authorities of the day. People have given up their lives for the faith, given up their lives because of what they said they saw, which was, which was Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth raised from the dead. That's, that was the crux, that was the difference. Quite separate to everything that Jesus taught and all the philosophies and all the good stuff what the early people of the church died for was what they said they saw, which was they said Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And if that's true, then everything he taught is true as well. And so John is looking through all of his, his, his exile. He doesn't know where his friends are. Most of them are dead. And he's sitting there reflecting on the realities of the world. And he starts thinking about heaven. He's near the end of his life. He's, he's quite old now. And God gives him a vision of heaven, a picture of the heaven that is now, a picture of heaven that is in this age, and this is what he records from that vision. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained, the testimony of of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord? How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? God, Sovereign Lord, our lives were taken unfairly. How long until you bring the justice that you promised that you would? And then each of them, was given a white robe, and they were told, wait just a little longer, wait just a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Wait a little longer, saints in heaven, just until all has been done that God says needs to be done for him to decide that the age is to transition from one place to another. When we look at this passage, we get some, some understanding, some hints about what is happening right now in another age. It tells us that the souls were present there. It says that there was an altar there. It says that there were loud voices, which means they could hear one another. They were given robes of, of, of white, robes that signified, their, signified that they were holy before God, cleansed, set free. And so we, we can, by looking at this, and it, it, there's also other... I could only choose one Bible verse to illustrate what I wanted to say today. But in so many places, it talks that we can know that heaven... The one that exists in this age is a physical place. We also know that within heaven, there is knowledge. There is a way to know things. That they know that they were slain because of their testimony. They know and are asking God, how long, how long am I going, are we going to suffer like this? How long do we have to wait for your for your justice, and then they inquire, they inquire about heaven, they inquire about what is going on. And so we acknowledge that in this current age, there is knowledge that, that is possessed in heaven. And the third thing it talks about is that some, somehow in heaven, there is a participation. We don't just sit around waiting, there's something that they're called to do. we read in Hebrews chapter 12, it it talks about the saints, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that cheer us on towards good deeds and work in this life. So, somehow, those that are in heaven in this age are able to see what's going on on the earth. They're able to know what's going on on the earth, and they're also able to participate by cheering us, championing us, supporting us In a mysterious and wonderful way but also part of the participation in heaven in this age apparently is waiting i love waiting don't you nah (laughs) i'm the sort of person if i'm honest when you're pulling up to a traffic light you figure out which lane's going to go first if there's a truck in the left you zip into the right it's an educated guess even if there's a few more cars you're probably on a winner there if there's a trailer towing a caravan you're definitely in the right-hand side. Waiting. It's not something we're particularly good at, but in, in, in heaven, the heaven of this age, Scripture teaches us that there's a participation which involves us waiting, waiting with God, waiting for God, waiting on God. But it also talks about us being able to enjoy our family, that there's something about the mystery of heaven that we are reunited with loved ones in heaven. Because it talks about that we're given a white robe and told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, brothers and sisters, their loved ones, had seen death as they had. So it tells us that there are some there. There's already some that are there, but it's waiting for the full number, the completeness of that, whatever number that is, however many people it's going to be, There's something about that there are already some loved ones there that you get to spend some time with. That's what we understand is happening in the present revelation of heaven, the present understanding of heaven. And so if we were to to summarize what happens when we die, as far as the breadth of Scripture is concerned, and you don't have to take my authority on this, you can go and research it for yourself, but the books that I've read... In the research that I've done, there's five things that happen when we die. There's a separation of our body and our soul. There's a relocation of our soul to heaven, to another place in this age. There's a liberation of our soul from sin. The reality of this age, of this earth, of where we are now, is that you and I have sin in our life. This earth has sin as a part of it. And that sin so often leads to brokenness, so often leads to death and destruction, and we'll explore that in a a few minutes. But we know that when we die, through faith in Jesus, we are liberated from sin in this world when we go into heaven. And that there is a reconnection with loved ones, and that ultimately there is a satisfaction that is found in God's presence, a satisfaction that is found in God's presence. And now, there's one thing that I do need to tell you about before we go any further, and it's I want to jump back a couple of slides and to recognize something that Scripture teaches so clearly to us, which I need to touch on before we go any further, and that is that you and I, as we live in this life, there are two Things happening at the same time, Scripture teaches us. There is the seen world, and there is the unseen world. There are, that's one of the realities of this age, is there a, are things happening that you and I can see, we can touch, we can taste, we can feel, we can know. But then, simultaneously, Scripture talks about something far more mysterious. There's an unseen world happening. Something that is happening alongside, concurrently in and intertwined through this age, this existence. And so we've got earth as the seen world, but then we've got heaven as the unseen world. Jump to the next one. But then there's a third one that we don't really like talking about, and it's hell. (gasps) Josh, don't talk about that in church. You upset people. But one of the things that we need to get comfortable with, if I'm honest, and I don't want to dwell on this, but I do need to talk about it, one thing we need to get comfortable with when it comes to the Christian faith is the reality that so there is a heaven, also Jesus talks about another place, a place where there is the absence of the presence of God. If heaven is where the presence of God is fully realized, hell is the place where the presence of God is completely absent. And Jesus talks about it pretty seriously. But we in the Christian church, we like to to wash over a little bit because it's a bit uncomfortable and we don't really know what to do with it. But the reality is that within the seen world, there is a whole bunch of things happening that we can see and taste and touch. But in the unseen world, there are two forces, heaven and hell. And each of them is fighting to influence our reality as it is now. And we need to understand that as we jump into the second part of the message for today. And so, because I, I talked about what's happening in heaven right now, as the best we can understand in Scripture, which is a little bit confusing, and you'll probably come and talk to me afterwards or send me an email, that's fine. But I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in this age right now? What's, what, what's going on for us? And we pick up in Colossians chapter 3, which is the passage that we began with last week. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are, are of above, not on earthly things. For you died, And your life is now hidden and now secured with Christ in God. As in, when you died to yourself and you chose to follow Jesus with your life, your life is now secure. Your eternal life is now secure with God. And when Christ, who is now your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. But then he goes on. He's not done. He says, so then put to death, Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that is, whatever belongs to your earthly existence, this seen life that you and I have a tendency to do. He says, for example, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, looking at the stuff you shouldn't look at, that gives you all the tinglies, evil desires, things that would hurt another things that focus on yourself over someone else, greed, the assumption that everything is for your consumption, that that exists within food as much as energy and the resources of this earth. And he says, all of those things which are idolatry, he says, put to death those things, and what, what that means to us, what we need to understand, is if Paul wants to bring up this idea, or feels like he needs to bring up that we need to put those things to death, what does that tell us about what's happening on the earth right now, what's happening on the earth in this age? That that is where we are tending to focus our time, energy, and effort. Without conscious effort, you and I, through the influence of sin in our life, drift towards those things. And you might say, Josh, I don't. I don't do those things. And that's fine. I'm, I'm so pleased that you don't. But I would love to also ask you, do you have the influence of God, the influence of Jesus, the influence of other Christians in your life? Yes? Then that is a force fighting against this. But all we need to do is look around at our culture and see how these things are pervading anything anything and everywhere in our culture. There's more, nearly 60% of the internet, as far as I'm aware now, is pornographic content. you aware of that? 60% of the data on the internet is pornographic in nature. What? They sold us that the internet would be the the greatest innovation the world has ever known, where we have more access to more information for more good than we've ever done, and some of that is true. But somehow, we have, as a society, as as a global culture, managed to twist something that was created, noble as much as it may have been, to something that satiates the lust, the immorality, the sexual impurity of the world. Now, you may not do any of that, that's fine. That's cool. But we all drive a car, which means in some way we are all implicit in the global narrative of using resources that cannot be restored. In our, now, and you can talk how, we'll talk about the morality of that another day. But each of us, in our own ways, left unchecked, drift towards that in this age. And so Paul says, you've got to put that stuff to death. C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, which was a, it's a fascinating, fascinating writing, C.S. Lewis, one of the giants of, of the last century in the Christian faith, wrote the Narnia Chronicles and all that, and, but some way cooler stuff, to be honest. Um, he writes the Screwtape Letters, which is a satiric writing. He writes as if he is a chief demon teaching a younger demon, the younger devil, how to influence humanity towards being bad. That's what it's basically about. And one of, the, one of the reflections, a quote from that, C.S. Lewis writes it. He says, prosperity, the pursuit of greed, the pursuit of wealth, prosperity knits a man, a human being, to the world. He or she feels that they are finding their place in it while really it is finding their pla- its place in Him, in them. Friends, all the things that Paul teaches us we need to put to death, each of them, in their own way, when we focus on them, when we fix our eyes on those things, they help us more readily focus on the things of this earth as opposed to the things of heaven. And that's why Paul says to be careful. And in a way, as C.S. Lewis writes it, those things are finding their way into our heart, drilling their way, in a way, into our heart and making a home there. Little do we know, we think we're in control. But how long does it take for you to realise that you're out of control? That's one of the problems of those that suffer from um, an addiction, is you don't realize that it's an addiction until it's way too late. And I wonder how many of us are addicted to our phone or addicted to Facebook, are addicted to food, addicted to socializing, addicted to our family. I wonder how many of us feel like we need these things to be okay. And Paul says, to be honest, if you keep your eyes there, all it leads to is death and destruction. He continues, he says, because because of those things, because of the things that you and I have a tendency to focus on in this age, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived? But now, as followers of Jesus, writing to the church in Colossae, he says, but now you must also rid yourself of these things. So he talks, okay, as followers of Jesus, you've squared away those things. The You've you've stepped away from sexual immorality, I would hope. I, I would expect you've stepped away from significant, you know, focus on greed and things like that. But he says that's the first bit. Let's have a look at what else needs you need to step away from. He says, Step away from anger, rage, malice, slander speaking ill of people, gossip, filthy language from your lips, even when you stub your toe. That's well, not in there, but I think it probably counts. Don't lie to each other. Why? Why do you need to not do those things? It's because you've taken off your old self. You've taken off all that was part of your old life with its practices. And you have put on a new self. When we look at all of those things, I think we could say quite simply that in this life, What our sinful nature wants us to keep our eyes on, based on both of those lists, is three things. Our sinful nature, the unseen part of this world, wants to keep our eyes fixed on pleasure, prosperity and power. I would say that the unseen world wants to keep our focus on pleasure, prosperity and power to consume our sinful nature. But, Paul says, but instead, put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. For there is no longer Gentile nor Jew. There's no longer people qualified and unqualified to receive God's love. There's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. Thank God for that. There's no longer barbarian, Scythian, no longer those that are slave or free. There's no, there's no other qualifications. But Christ is everything. Christ is all, and Christ is in all. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, rather than clothing yourself in, the, in power, pleasure, and prosperity, clothe yourselves with compassion with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive. How much? Well, as much as we feel is reasonable. As much as we feel they deserve. No? How much are we meant to forgive? As the Lord forgave you. Jesus put it another way, didn't He? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. And here it is. And over all of those things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And by the way, be thankful. So to summarize what Paul writes there, we've got our old nature, pleasure, prosperity, and power, influenced by the negative parts of the absence of God, its influence in the, from the unseen world into this life. But then he writes about our new nature grace, love, and peace, influences from the unseen heavenly place, which uh, Im- influence our life right now, seen and unseen. The goodness of heaven and the challenge and chaos hell. And this is where the rubber hits the road for you and I. If we want to think about this age, we've, we recognize that heaven is now and in another place. And heaven and earth in, an, in another age is what Angus is going to talk about next week. But there was a third category, wasn't there? There was heaven here and now in a new way. And that's what this is saying. That for you and I, we live on this earth, we're here in this age, but, and for you and I, there is a wrestle going on in our life of what is it that's going to influence the way that we journey through the world. Is it going to be pleasure, prosperity, and power? Or is it going to be grace, love, and peace? And Paul talks about this as the reality of the Christian journey, that you and I have a choice to make. Every single day, every single moment in our life, we have a choice to make as to which part is going to influence our journey. Are we going to be influenced by the pursuit? Are we having our sights set on the pursuit of pleasure? the pursuit of prosperity, and the pursuit of power. Because if that's where we place our ultimate sights, if that's where we place our ultimate sense and purpose and hope, what do those things bring? Do they really satisfy? Do they bring meaningful fulfillment to us? All you need to do is look at someone with power, To see how power corrupts. Because what what happens when you get power? You need more. What happens when you get power? For some reason, we in our sinful nature as human beings, we want to figure out how to use our power for our advantage. The reason that every single government system that human beings have ever created has failed to bring justice to the world is why. Why? It's because Power corrupts us. It is, believe it or not, an influence from the unseen world into our life, left unchecked. Pleasure, prosperity, all those things, as if we set our sights on those, all that we do is we drag the destruction from hell into this life. And we've seen it. We've seen people pursue wealth over all things and what does it bring? It brings destruction, it brings death, it brings grief and it brings brokenness. We've seen people pursue sexuality and pleasure over all things and what does it do? It brings death, it brings brokenness, it brings hurt and it brings pain. So the reality is That for you and I, when we focus our sights on those things, we drag the realities of hell into uh, our seen world right now. But the good news is that that is not the only choice that we have. We've got a choice to instead of dragging those things up into our life, we get to pull something else down. We get to pull down grace. We get to pull down forgiveness. We get to pull down the love of God. We get to pull down a peace that surpasses understanding. Now, I don't think heaven is up there and hell down there, but I think it helps us understand it. It helps us think about it in a helpful way. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, if we look at what Paul said and what he's trying to help us understand, he says it's when you set your sights on the realities of heaven, you get to embody the, the realities of heaven here, now. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, have the privilege. We have, and I would argue, the responsibility of bringing heaven to this age, to this place, to this time, but in a completely different and new way, in a way that you and I are ambassadors of heaven. And the way we do that is setting our sights on the things of heaven. And luckily, we don't have to do this under our own strength, do we? For scriptures tell us that when you and I, as followers of Jesus, when we accept Christ, we are given a foretaste of heaven. Do you know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit. Scripture writes about that as the, the foretaste of heaven. The foretaste of that which is to come is the Spirit of God given to us as a down payment of all that we are to experience in the coming age, which means that the things of heaven can be present in our life, not through our own strength, but through the strength of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So friends, it's not up to you. It's not just up to you. There is a power within you that is far greater than anything that exists in this world. It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. And it's that power that lives if you're a follower of Jesus. It's that power that lives in you that enables you to bring the things of heaven to here and now in a new way. And I would argue that it's our responsibility. Like if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can take or leave this. Like there's no there's no pressure, there is no guilt, there is no whatever to it. You can choose to live your life the way that you want to, but I believe the justice of God is, is, is accurate in that when we live our life focused on pleasure, prosperity, and power, it leads to destruction. I believe scriptures are true about that. But if we are followers of Jesus, I believe we have a responsibility to be the ones that are called to see heaven break into this age now by the way that we focus our life on being defined by grace, by being defined and focusing on forgiveness, on love, and on peace. Because whatever we set our sights on ultimately becomes the ruler of our life. And I don't know about you but I'd much rather have my sights set on heaven than anywhere else, right? Because we've seen the results. And in many ways, we know the truth. And so fixing fixing our sights on heaven will change your life. But it's also going to change the life of those around you. Because I do believe that anything we do in the Christian faith is not about us. Or indeed, it's not just about us. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, as people around us, we're always in community. And whilst there's a, there is a, a level in which grace and love and peace help us in our own life, they are more effectively, they are far more, they are, they are of far more benefit to those around us than to just us. So when we exist in community, which we do, we're human beings. Setting our sights on the things of heaven ends up being a whole lot more about the people around us than us. And you love the people around you, don't you? I love them. I love the people around me, and so I feel like I, I want the best for them. You want the best for your loved ones. So, in a sense, we owe it to them to set our sights on the things of heaven to bring hope, love, peace, and joy into their life through us than the alternative because we don't want that. So heaven, the realities of heaven is that heaven exists here at another time. But it can also exist here and now in another way. And I believe the calling for you this morning is that by living in the way of Jesus, by setting our sights on the things of heaven, we can, you can, be the agents of change, agents of hope in a world that desperately needs something new to to look to, because where we focus, where our earth is focusing its time and energy is bringing no hope at all. So would you be agents of hope by fixing your sights on heaven? Let's pray together. Loving God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks into our life. And I'll be honest, God, this is complicated. There's so much about the realities of heaven that it will remain a mystery to us until we see you face to face. Your scriptures teach us that now we see in part, but when we get there, then we will know fully, as we are fully known. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to sort this mystery out in a way that is helpful for our life. Help us to sort it out so that we're not bewildered by the concept and distracted from what it is you need us to know, but instead that we would see the fundamental truth, and that is that... We can have a glimpse of heaven here and now. And that glimpse is found by fixing our sights on the things of heaven and through it we become conduits of the goodness of heaven, your love, your grace, all the good things into a world and into the lives of those around us desperately need some hope at this time. And Lord, remind us that we don't do this under our own strength. But instead, you've given us a counselor, you've given us your spirit as our strength and as our guidance on the way. And for that we say, thanks be to God. So give us the wisdom to know how to live out what you call us to and the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.